Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story. With your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. My name is Rodney Hu and today I'm joined by another amazing guest, Miss Brittany Hawkins. She is the director and co-founder of Alonza Wellness and they are an AI platform for optimizing fertility patient care. And she's also the co-author of the book, Everything Egg Freezing, a step-by-step guide to doing it right. So I'm excited to have her on and pick her brain and allow her an opportunity to share her story. So with that being said, Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Why don't you give the people a little background of who you are, kind of what you're doing over at Alonza and how you got into healthcare? Yeah, so um, I am a sort of multiple time tech founder. And in the past, I've founded companies in the wine and the travel space. But my own health tech journey started actually when I underwent fertility treatment. In particular, I froze my eggs. And in that process, I just found it was lonely and frustrating and very disempowering. In fact, I botched my injections and I fainted at one point. And I just, it was really kind of traumatizing in a lot of ways. And I really just found it to be an experience that was so, terrible that I just didn't want other people to have to undergo the same sort of thing. So um, Catherine, my co-founder and I, we actually underwent the our treatments around the same time and shared in our challenges, which is what compelled us to write the book, as you mentioned, Everything Egg Freezing. And that was really where we realized that there was so little information around those lifestyle factors that can actually optimize your fertility or your more specifically your egg quality, which basically determines whether or not the eggs you freeze will ever actually turn into a baby. So, you know, that's the whole point of egg freezing to begin with. So we were actually pretty upset when we found out that all these things we should have been doing, we hadn't. So we spent about a year and a half you know, compiling about 3,000 different medical journals. We worked with 25 fertility doctors, interviewed dozens of women just to come up with this comprehensive analysis of, you know, the counseling behind it, the lifestyle factors, and kind of what the whole thing entailed. So as you can imagine, with a book, it's just a little bit limiting. (laughs) You can't really, you know, you you want to go back to it at certain points or it doesn't really, it's not really personalized to your own journey, which is where we, we actually went through the Y Combinator startup school and that really helped us formulate some of our own thoughts around scalability and how we could really develop a a way to help patients at scale. And so obviously technology is the the best and most effective way in doing that, which is why we have basically built out this entire fertility platform. And the platform utilizes machine learning to help people or to kind of build together all those lifestyle factors, mental health factors, and the medical into one really personalized and specific patient journey. 
And then to deliver that journey, we were utilizing AI and not just any AI, we're talking like empathetic, contextual, conversational AI that actually helps, you know, is that sort of one-to-one patient companion throughout every stage of treatment. So that's really where we're headed with Alonza right now. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I like listening to the beginning of your story because like a lot of other entrepreneurs, especially in healthcare, they kind of went through the process themselves and they have their own experience as a patient journey and realize like, man, there's something missing. And in your case, it was the educational aspect around the topic of fertility. And so you guys decided to go and create a company and start seeing how you could be of value towards that specific market. How can you educate? How can you get the word out? And so I want to ask you about the process from idea to actually growing a company. You kind of mentioned Y Combinator and how you got into that startup school, but how was that process and what steps did you guys take to actually growing this thing and getting it off the ground? Well, I think we, we definitely take a sort of lean startup approach, which is the build, measure, learn, uh, which really means that it's never really been one thing. Our, our mission has always been clear, which is to help optimize the patient experience and treatment outcomes. So at this point, the actual company itself is constantly evolving. We're constantly developing hypotheses in order to help deliver on those goals. Um, so it's been very, I would call it, I use the phrase iterate and calibrate, which just means everything is a form of iteration. So we started off, uh, you know, before even the book, we had, we were thinking about doing fertility retreats abroad because it's cheaper and we could develop a whole wellness angle to it. But then, you know, that just didn't seem like scalable enough. And then we came with the book and then we realized through the book that it just wasn't enough. And then, you know what I mean? So at every stage, it's sort of an evolution. And I think applying that iterative approach really just helps us stay focused without being too wedded to like one feature or one specific product or, you know, we're not a technology company in the sense that we're finding problems to solve with the technology we've built. We're looking to do whatever we can to solve that problem. Okay. Okay. And so I liked how you mentioned, so pretty much your company, your vision, you know who you want to help, but the logistics and technical stuff is constantly evolving. Um, rapidly changing. But I liked how in the beginning, you said you created that comprehensive analysis, you're doing all the research, interviewing a bunch of doctors and talking to fertility clinics. And how important is gathering that data up front? And how much did that help you guys game plan for your strategy? Like, I know things are always changing, but how much did that foundational data kind of help steer you in the right direction? Oh, my gosh, it was game-changing. There's no way we could have gotten here without it. And a big reason for that is because we need to work with doctors. You know, doctors are our partners in delivering this care or optimizing what is currently clinical care. And we have to understand everything about their business, what their biggest challenges are, how they currently deliver care, what are the different formats of delivering that care, what do they what do they say they're motivated by and what they, what do they really care about? And understanding all those nuances through those, those relationships we've developed really has helped us, you know, not just calibrate our business model, but understand what features are going to be most beneficial, what people are willing to pay for, 
And also, you know, in our larger goal, what's really going to move the needle and have people truly see, you know, a difference in their outcome and their experience. Nice. And so you guys are able to identify the problem. You guys did the research, started the company. And everybody knows, like, as an entrepreneur, nothing, as an entrepreneur, nothing is easy and a steady climb. There's ups and downs. So can you kind of speak to a couple obstacles or challenges that you and your team have faced as a company and you as an entrepreneur just trying to grow and learn? Oh, wow. There's, there's so many. I think <laughs> every day there's a new obstacle. I think that's why uh, the term, term entrepreneur should be sucker for punishment. No, I think part of the joy and the, the, the challenge and what we're doing is that it's never been done before. So a big piece of it is understanding our business model. We were first looking at a B2C model and then realized that actually, how can you scale that? You know, how do you find someone at the exact right moment at the right place and how much are they willing to pay for it? And how, how much is it going to cost us to find that person? You know, so you start to look at the unit economics of that. And for us, that's when we shifted to the B2B structure. Again, that might change because we eventually want to move more into a payer strategy, but um, those are sort of different incentives and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So I'd say that was a big one, just calibrating our, our, our model and our revenue stream. And, and yeah, I mean, every day, I think the, going back to what I was saying about the sort of build, measure, learn mentality is that if you think about it, like every single aspect of your business is a little bit of a hypothesis. So you say, we think that by offering women and men more emotional support throughout their treatment, that's going to increase patient satisfaction rates. So that's a hypothesis. How do we accomplish that? We try all these various features and then, you know, we test everything and we use our, our pilot program with, with 10 doctors we have currently to really test that out and kind of figure out what really does help increase patient satisfaction rates. So every day, I wouldn't call it a, a challenge we've overcome, but if you, you know, if we don't see those as barriers, it's not like we built this huge program and, or, or product or feature, and now it doesn't work. We've just been testing them constantly in order to make sure that we're slowly iterating into the right direction. Mm, okay. Just small little incremental improvements over time. Exactly. I'm going to help you out. And so I know just listening to you speak, it's clear that you've done a lot of research. It's clear that you've put in a lot of work. There's already a lot of moving parts that have to go into running a business and you're just one person, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to the other co-founder, um, but I kind of want to ask you about the team that you put together and how you went about finding them and, what role are they playing in helping you grow this company? Yeah, I've actually been really fortunate in my team so far. Uh, Kat and I, we have been friends for a long time. We met in South Africa. Funny enough, we were on a nice. reality television show. Maybe she mentioned that. Whoa, I did not know that. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a bad one. It was for National Geographic. Oh. And we basically had to wear the same clothes for about a week sitting next to each other. So we got to know each other really well. And we, you know, we come from, she's from the UK, I'm from the US, but I think what's crazy or what's, what's amazing is that 
that our shared experience really is what bonded us in the end. And so, you know, she brings to the table a, a background as a BBC producer, and she was trained as a lawyer. And, you know, while we both have some sort of marketing background, we just, we connect in a lot of ways where we are really excited about what we're doing. And at the same time, we're super complimentary. So I think having people you truly enjoy, you know, picking up the phone and just talking to every day, it makes a massive difference. And fortunately, we've been able to kind of translate our friendship into a business relationship, which has been, it's really made the whole process extremely enjoyable. And, you know, we're not kind of, we're not so different that we're kind of at constant odds. You know, you want, you want opposition, you want someone to oppose you. You want like the, the conversations. Yeah. It's important to have the, you know, conflicting perspectives. I think that's a healthy way of looking at a new business because you need to beat up all your ideas, but we've got enough of a, um, a really great working relationships where we can, we can push back on each other in a way that we feel passionate about. And it's not personal. It's not anything. And we always come up with the best. It's amazing how, you know, we kind of like push and pull. And then every time it's 10 times better when we do that. So I feel very good about that. And then um, our CTO, AJ, he's actually somebody I've known from 11, 10, 11 years ago now. I met him in San Francisco at a dinner party and have just always been so fascinated by what he's doing, what he's always been doing, which is in specifically in AI. And I mean, he was a one of the first people basically in the world at Carnegie Mellon to really start cultivating the concept of AI. And he's a huge thinker and he has been working predominantly in the, in the sort of automotive space really around voice recognition technologies and whatnot. But interestingly, his mom is a gynecologist and he's been so supportive of our cause. And his mom even, you know, looked over our book when it was, when we were editing so he's just been such a major support system for me. And then actually in the process of us, again, calibrating our, as our shift into technology. And I wanted to talk to him about how AI might play a role in this. And he just so happened to want to move into healthcare. And so it was really just a sort of series of serendipitous events and not one that I would have, you know, ever thought that they would have all connected but here we are. So yeah, so sometimes people just kind of come back into your life at the right time. And yeah, I've been really fortunate with that. Yeah. It's a good sign when things work out, like work out like that. I think what stuck out to me is how you said you randomly met Kat on a reality TV show in South Africa, a random part of the world. And then you guys split, you went back to the U S she went to the UK, but somewhere along the line, like that friendship turned formed a business relationship you know but and you now have multiple team members that you're working with but how is it working in the U.S. and having her be in the U.K. and how are you guys like managing that remote work sort of lifestyle and how are you, how's that for you guys? That is a great question I feel like before the pandemic everyone was like how are you doing this and then now they're asking, you know, how are you doing it? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're both pretty 
I, funny, I, I'm pretty flexible on my timing. She's more of a late uh, night owl anyway. So, you know, her being in the UK, we tend to schedule our meetings in the morning for me and hers are in the evening. And we have, we literally wrote our book using Google Docs and I kid you not, we'd write the book, we'd, we'd go off in our own sections, compile, and then we would turn on WhatsApp live for the whole day and then be live editing inside Google Docs simultaneously. So we would just, you know, I mean, technology has made it all possible. And with, you know, video conferencing, I mean, it really hasn't been as hard as you would imagine. It is hard if you just want to ping some idea off someone and, you know, they're asleep. But I've kind of now moved my brainstorming moments to the morning. And we kind of make sure to schedule those things in that time frame. And otherwise, we are avid proponents of everything on the Google Docs platform and we make it work. Okay, awesome. Yeah, technology really does make things a lot easier. And you kind of mentioned two apps for communicating like WhatsApp and like Google Docs. Those are kind of two softwares that you could use. Are there any other sort of softwares within your tech stack that kind of stick out to you? Like we can't function without this or this plays a pivotal role in our strategy. Hmm. You mean for the for the product itself or for our sort of daily workflow? Uh, your daily day-to-day workflow and stuff like that. Whether it's communication, well, I mean, organization, whatever you think. Yeah, we use every one of the Google products pretty much. Um, but in terms of our website, we use Wix, which has been really great. Just, you know, we're pretty just having that nimble flexibility and making changes and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anyone, I mean, we like everyone else use zoom and, and, and the Google meet, but we don't have, I don't know. I actually can't think of any others that are really like absolutely integral. Just the main ones, the essentials, you know? Yeah. The essentials pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we have a whole, we have, it depends what side of, if we're talking about our investor outreach, we've got a whole set of technologies we use for that. Just if it's common kind of everyday workflow stuff, it's all on Google. And then with the product, it's its own set of things, but yeah. Okay, yeah, that kind of segues into my next question kind of because I want to ask about like your target audience. Like I'm assuming it's mainly women, uh, maybe other fertility clinics um, and the owners of those. But how are you going about communicating with your target audience and the people who you want to be aware of your brand and what sort of content are you putting out there to communicate with them? So we, we really do have a dual target audience. Um, there's a very symbiotic relationship between the doctors and the patients, the, the doctors we're selling on a B2B SaaS model to the doctors. And so we need to show that there is, ROI there. Um, on the same token, we need patients to use the platform because if they don't care and want to use the platform, then it doesn't matter for doctors. So it really is a dual um, target audience for us. At the end of the day, though, our patient is the or they're the, the user of the, the platform. So for them, we are 
we're basically at the moment we're we're in a pilot phase and we're working with doctors and they are then giving the program to their patients. So right now it's sort of working with directly with those doctors and saying, what's easiest for you? How can we make this better so that it better serves your needs? And what are the sort of metrics, whether there's, you know, bottom line or top line, you know, sometimes it's about maybe it might be patient conversion rates. And that's a very specific ROI metric, but on the same token, having a lot of high stress patients that just need help, you know, they're constantly calling and emailing and the staff, there's a huge high, um, there's a huge staff burnout rate Mm -hmm. in these high stress environments. So it's also looking at those things, which really matter to doctors or, you know, just having these alternative tools and support mechanisms to give their patients. So right now we're really focused on that doctor, um, the doctor needs, because that's eventually what we're going to need to sell to. But then when it comes to the patients, you mentioned women, but I would like you to know that sperm counts are down 50%. (laughs) And men men are responsible for roughly 30 to 50% of all infertility cases. And I would, you know, while women, I think, do carry the, the sort of brunt of not just the fertility treatment process, it's a lot more invasive to be doing the injections and, and all that. But the, the actual emotional trauma that goes into fertility treatment, I would argue, is, is, is not actually being addressed enough for men. So it is both men and women. And, and with something like IVF, in the case where there are, it is a male and a female partner. Mm-hmm. or even a female and a female partner or a male and a male, there are all kinds of, there are all kinds of different uh, support mechanisms that actually each person participating supports the other. So I, there's a lot of interconnectivity between our patients. Um, and for them, it's just, that's what the whole platform is for. It's about connecting them, you know, giving them a personalized fertility journey that takes into account their existing lifestyle, their current, you know, emotional needs, their timeline in terms of when, you know, leading up to treatment, access to fertility optimization products, holistic health practitioners like nutritionists and therapists. So right now, most of our content, which you asked about, is mostly focused on patients because those are the people who are actively seeking out our insight. Okay, awesome. Just educating the market. I, I'm first off. I knew that males were a part of it. I just didn't know that <laughs> the statistic. My bad. <laughs> I'm just gonna correct you there. <laughs> um, but I like how, like in the beginning, we talked about you having to do this research and stuff for your strategy. But like now that you guys are partnering with these clinics and these doctors who are referring you to these patients, and you guys are collecting more real world data from the patients and the doctors that you can use to like better optimize your product, you know? And so I think that could, that's very valuable right there. And just being able to learn from the feedback from the doctors as well. That's pretty awesome. And so before we end with the last exercise, I have one more question and it's really just what sort of advice would you have for other entrepreneurs or healthcare professionals in this field, they're trying to start and create their own business. Well, I have, I have two things. My first piece would be, 
you know, if you are more of an entrepreneur and you're trying to figure out what to do in the digital health space, I would say that the, from everything I've heard from investors to um, users of various products is that focus on the solution, not the technology. A lot of people here in Silicon Valley build tech for tech. I think I mentioned this before. People build this super cool technology and then uh, it doesn't actually solve a real human problem. I mean, look at Google Glass. Let's just give that as, a, as an example. You know, it just didn't, it wasn't like something that people were actively seeking out. It was really cool, but just not, not usable or important enough. Um, and then I think for more of a, a really, what I would like to ask of the medical community is really in this vein of focusing on more value-based care or a holistic healthcare approach. I think that so many patients are not seen, you know, they're just looked at by one portion of their health or one piece of their body is being identified and not actually being taken into account with with everything else. And I know that sounds a bit lofty and a little bit non-specific, but I think there's just such a big shift brewing. Patients are not at all okay with this sort of thing. And then if they don't get it, they're going to Dr. Google. They're doing these, you know, they're making choices that are often bad for their health. And pretty soon this is going to become a bigger and bigger problem because there's a lot of bad actors out there that can take advantage of patients who are seeking that information. So I think that, you know, the healthcare system really does have to step up and start to be able to address those gaps in clinical care. Oh, okay. Just leave with value. Focus on the solution. Like it. Um, so kind of ending, coming up towards the end of the podcast, we've been talking about a lot of high level topics, whether it's relating to fertility or entrepreneurship, um, but went on a little lighter exercise with something I like to call the rapid fire room. So I'm asking you a set of questions and you just give me whatever answer you come up with. Okay. All right. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Neither Here Nor There by Bill Bryson. Okay. Who is the most influential person in your life or career? Honestly, equally my mom and my dad. Okay. Shout out to the parents. <laughs> what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? I want to get our AI nurse into patients' hands and out there, scaled. Okay. Last one. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, don't, don't worry about always having the big picture right away. Okay. <laughs> just okay. uh yeah it takes time sometimes okay patience patience, patience. <laughs> oh i'm so impatient yes <laughs> i feel you awesome well that's the end of the questions um Brittany, i just want to thank you again for jumping on and just sharing your story and uh, what you're doing in adelanza and everything that you're going on the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and just taking the time out of your day to just share your experience your knowledge thought leadership with other entrepreneurs so just want to say thank you well, thanks so much for having me this is a great thing you're doing yeah no problem but last thing before we leave where could people learn more about you and your company they can go to 
www.alonza, that's E-L-A-N-Z-A, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, dot com. All righty, and I'll be sure to include those links in the resources. Well, that concludes today's episode, another value-packed episode. Catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.